0: can't
1: really sing <laughs> la, 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 hello and welcome to the SBNY podcast my name is Peter Kennedy and I am your host the sports blog New York podcast is on iTunes the Apple podcast app as well as Google Play if you like this fine podcast or if it's your first time listening don't forget to tell us what you think what you want to hear more of what, what, what you want to hear less of what you think of the podcast but definitely subscribe hit the ratings hit the reviews, means a lot to us because we appreciate you listeners that come in every single week. Now, I know we have some big news to talk about. Kyrie Irving has been officially traded to the Boston Celtics. But this specific podcast that you're listening to right now is not the place to hear about that. Because I have a very special guest that I need to stick to his specialty, to his wheelhouse. We're going to talk about that. But we're going to have a separate podcast, a mini-pod, if you will, all about Kyrie and that trade. But first... A word from our presenting sponsor. Wooter Apparel is the number one shop for custom uniforms and apparel. It has the lowest prices, two-week, three-week turnaround, every sport and any design you can imagine. Go to WooterApparel.com. That's W-O-O-T-E-R, Apparel.com, or hit them up. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, the whole nine, at Wooter Apparel. And the best part is use discount code SBNY at your purchase. Discount code SBNY for any type of custom apparel that's hats jerseys for baseball basketball football anything you can imagine Wooter apparel shout out to them they present this fine pop program but without further ado my special guest who i will make him say something about the kyrie irving trade but it is not his wheelhouse he is mlb.com writer
0: mlb.com writer extraordinaire joe trezza what's up brother just just trying to soak in this Boston Celtics news, man. As a big <laughs> Celtics fan, you know, I mean, it's just all I'm thinking about. Uh, yeah. yeah, are they are they, gonna, are they getting it all? They're, they're going to bring look, it all home? Uh, they're going to look pretty green, and they're going to make everybody else feel pretty blue. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's pretty good right there. That's all I know. Now, you've been fully entrenched in the MLB season, right? That's right. You've been pumping out great stories. Thank you. Pumping out even better tweets, if I may add. At Joe Trez with two Zs on the end. But have you heard all this NBA hype all summer? Has it been lingering in your earholes? Uh
0: yeah, or have you been, no, di- yeah, I've been dialed like, in? I've have been you listening.
1: been dialed in enough
0: to just no, put you know, it out? I, you know, okay, when it comes to sports, like I'm just so locked in with baseball that I kind of like I kind of like put my blinders on to everything else and I try to make myself more of an eclectic person, like a well-rounded individual. So I've been focusing a little music, going hey. to concerts, going to some festivals. You know, there was a new uh, a new brand new album that got dropped. I saw you tweeting about new, that as well. Album. I saw so you tweeting about that. That's been really concerning, yeah, you know, taking most of my time.
1: So when you're not all in on Mets Yankees and the MLB, you're trying to broaden your horizons a little a bit. A little bit, yeah. You got outside in some nature. I saw your,
0: your vacation looks yeah, pretty exactly. fun as I well. Got, like nature, I get into music a little bit, dipping my toes into politics sometimes. So, oh, yeah. Dabbling. Dabbling a little, if you will. I love but, to hear it. It's mostly baseball.
1: I love to hear it. Well that's why I'm gonna do my own little mini pod. At a different occasion, also coming out at the same time as this one. So if you're listening to this podcast with Joe Treza of MLB.com, don't forget to check out the mini, mini pod, breaking down the Kyrie Irving trade to Boston. We could also call it the Isaiah Thomas trade, if you will, because he's like kind of a big name at this point. I, I think that's what I would do. Call it the Isaiah Thomas trade? I don't know. But we'll get into that on the other episode. But Wasn't he a coach? I'm just kidding. <laughs> you actually scared me for a quick, quick <laughs> second there. But I'm glad you were just kidding. Well, let's get into baseball because, like I said, we'll have that other episode. Let's do that. There are actually to games do, going on. To do
0: ball, right? This is your season. Right. This is happening now. It's all happening. Living in the now. Becoming more eclectic. Right. Like <laughs> Focusing on what's happening in front
1: of you. That's, that's how I want to live. So I want to talk about the most prevalent baseball topic to, I would say, a majority of our listeners. And that would be the New York Yankees, right? So there's been kind of a hysteria going around the fan bases of the New York Yankees. If uh, I could say from my perspective, now you've been covering the team a little more closely. I know you're doing a lot of league-wide stuff as well. But you've been able to have a decent pulse on this. Is there a real cause for concern that the Yankees aren't going to make the playoffs? Or are they in a decent enough spot where they should feel comfortable
0: and just need to take this thing slow? Well, I, I, I think that they certainly have the talent to, to make the playoffs. You know, whether it be in a... a First wild card seed or the second wild card seed. It looks like they're probably going to hang on to that first wild card spot. Uh, I mean, they're certainly on paper the more talented of the maybe it seems like 12 teams that are in the race for that second wild card uh, with the only wild card. Um, and you know, and the fact is that they they kind of just need Aaron Judge to turn it around, and they'll look a lot more like the team from the first half than they were in the first few weeks of the second half. And I don't think there's any cause for I think there is a cause for alarm Judge wise, but I don't think that this isn't a playoff team. Let's put it that way.
1: I hear what you're saying. And, you know, I'm not going to – we're not going to sit here and talk, oh, they're five and a half games out, so they need to win this many games. and not. Uh, that's not even our worry at this point, right? I want to talk about overarching theory about Aaron Judge because we were chatting before we started recording this podcast. And we're, you know, have the game on in the background because we're recording on Tuesday night for this Wednesday morning episode. And Aaron Judge is on base twice mm-hmm. with two walks. Yeah. No hits again.
0: Did he str- I don't know if he struck out or not. He was 0-for-0 0 0 with two walks so far. But, but he re- has struck out in 38 consecutive games, I'm pretty sure. Which is absurd. Which is an all-time record. Which
1: makes it even more absurd. So you, from your reaction that I saw before, seem to not really care as much oh, about the argument that, oh, he's getting on base anyway. Put the ball in play. Do you think this is a real
0: cause for concern for him, specifically? Because you mentioned that before. Well, look, the two things that I... The same about Aaron Judge now, as they were May 1st, as they were last September 1st, is that he's going to walk a lot and he's going to strike out a lot, right? The only difference in in Aaron Judge is how much he's making contact. And when he's locked in, he makes enough contact to be an extremely successful hitter, right? When he's not locked in, he doesn't make enough contact to really uh, be a dynamic presence in the middle of the lineup. Like, yeah, he's going to get on base a few, you know his share of times but a lot of that is patience and a lot of that is also pitchers kind of being cautious with him because they're they know what he can do when he does put the ball in play right now how much of that how long does it take for that fear to go away when you aren't hitting 38 home runs in a set in an 80 game period it kind of was kind of
1: right? looks like it's happening right and it <laughs> looks like the fear of Aaron Judge from the pitcher's perspective has dwindled
0: seriously. That's since what I'm saying. So the All Star break. When, so when the intimidation factor, you know, dissipates a little, and pitchers have confidence that he, they can get him out without throwing him a strike, is he a good enough hitter to be productive when he has to kind of adjust to the pitchers' adjustments that they're making? He has to stay in at bats, and he has to foul off tough pitches, and he has to, you know, maybe spit on a few tough pitches and win an at bat in a way that's not a home run. You know, I I, I think that still remains to be seen. I think it's super interesting, and I think
1: when he was playing so well in the beginning, some of the most impressive swings he was taking were ground balls to the right side, or hard, low line drives to the right side, which, to me, I know it's not, like, the most sexy if you're involving stats and advanced uh, sabermetrics and all that stuff. A line drive through the right
0: hole may not be the best, but it shows to me that there's balance in his swing, which he clearly lost. And that's, like, the kind of the natural, like way that his swing goes because he's so long, right? So he he's going to be able to get the ball deep just because his bat is such a strange and like angular path through the zone and that's what impressed a lot of people about him, right? And he, I think his first home run in the first half was a line drive up the middle or to right center that looked like a single for anybody else and it goes out to right field in Cleveland. Again, that's what Aaron Judge can do when he's locked in, when he's going well, right? But wh- when he's not, is he this all-or-nothing player or Is he going to be a player who's somewhere in the middle of that great Aaron Judge and this kind of, you know, less productive Aaron Judge, where where he is kind of a liability in the three spot at this point?
1: Because I hear you with uh, not really totally accepting that, oh, at least he's getting on base argument, because this guy's a smack dab in the middle of the lineup, and he's expected to produce runs. He's not just expected to get on base, um, but at least... You know, no. At course, least
0: like you got that. Is the is the main right, point. Of I guess. course, it's not bad. When right, he walks. It's good. It's not bad when he walks. Like this is the big thing with with, with oh, on, base, on base percentage that people sometimes don't realize. Right. So, you know, we have uh, there this there is the good stuff. By the way, the if you're listening history. to
1: this podcast with Joe Trezza, two, Joe Trez Two Z's No A on his Twitter ha- handle, this is the stuff that really gets you gone. You don't even care. You, you can point, see it in my face. Once you, you just said, it gets like it gets me in a zone. If you see, it, it's like physical from it. Absolutely. Once you just said about on-base percentage, you're like, and this is what people don't get about on-base percentage. This just stopped being about Aaron Judge. (laughs) This is no longer even about him. I mean, it still is kind of, but this is now
0: about on-base percentage. The floor is yours again. Like there is, again, there's nothing, there's nothing bad about walking, right? right? Getting on-base is good. Uh, Of course it is. Nobody would argue that it isn't, but there are people who argue that a walk is just as good as a hit, and that's just patently not true. That's false because when has a walk ever scored somebody from second base? Or When has a walk ever driven somebody from first to third? Or when has a walk won a game in an on-basis loaded situation? It just doesn't happen. So the, fact, the problem with on-base percentage is what it misses. And it does what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to measure how many times somebody gets on base. But people use it as a catch-all stat or like the first part in a two-part catch-all stat that says, this is how good you are at offense. No, it's part of offense, absolutely. But it doesn't tell you everything about that offensive player. So while he's getting on base and walking, that's good. Absolutely, that's good. Uh, But, you know, he was doing that when he wasn't really that productive last year either, and he was doing that in the first half. That's part of Aaron Judge's game that's not going to go away, just like the strikeouts.
1: Which is a nice fallback, but
0: you're saying there's way more to it than just that. And it needs to be noted. Absolutely. And, you know... I mean, th- there were a few games this year in a row where Aaron Judge didn't put the ball in play, right? Like, he would walk twice, strike out twice, walk twice, strike out twice. I mean, it was a few weeks ago. It, was, it felt like it was happening every day. I mean, right? since we started this conversation, Aaron Judge actually walked in the background <laughs> he <did>. in the Yankees <laughs> game. Now. So he's over with three walks. <laughs> yeah. Like, sure, he's turning the lineup over. That's that's good. That's fine. But but is that face of baseball? Because we ought to remember, we are calling this guy the face of baseball a month ago. And you also have to remember, like, on base percentage and OPS and walks and all that stuff, they're really great in the aggregate. Like when we view baseball from kind of a bird's-eye perspective, over 162 games, X amount of walks will produce this amount of run. Okay, yes, that's true. But the game isn't played in the aggregate. It's played in moments. It's game. It's played in moments with, with context, right? And there are times this season, especially lately in the second half, where Aaron Judge's inability to make contact in key situations has hurt the Yankees. And he may finish that game... 0 for two with two walks with a 500 on base percentage, but that doesn't mean that his strikeout in the eighth inning was a good thing. Absolutely,
1: and that's really interesting breakdown, and hopefully, hopefully, you Yankee fans are listening closely so you can understand what's truly going on here and why it is, you know, a cause for concern. Nothing to like really, really freak out about yet, in my opinion, but something to really keep an eye on and something to be involved with because it is a serious concern. But your whole thing that you just went on, and I'm just going to say this and you could go back to what you got so I don't forget, that reminded me of a little tweet sequence. I don't know if you ended up writing article. Actually, I believe you did, about Nolan Arenado early like early in the year when his average was low, but his um, average VLO from the stat cast of bet balls in play. So it was Manny Machado. Bet, oh, it was Manny Machado, was Manny Machado not Manny. Nolan Arenado. Yeah. And you wrote an article about how he was putting the ball in play very well, weren't Turning into hits. Those are the types of numbers that prove someone's hitting the ball well, even if it's not turning into a good average. Just on base percentage with an empty average, with actually an average around 180 in the past
0: month or whatever it's been, proves quite the opposite. And and, you know, also with a guy like Manny Machado at that point of the season, like we have ways now with Statcast to show how hard you're hitting the ball, right? And how how many of those outs came via strikeout or, or, or whatever it might be. So we have ways to break it down. And we saw that Manny was hitting the most line drives in the American League and getting the least credit for the line drives, right? He had a the biggest gap, I think, between his expected batting average and his actual batting average. So those are the numbers you look for when you see, if, oh, is somebody outperforming their average? Is average not really uh, the most accurate way to show this player at this point? And over the course of a season, like, you know, it... it that that was that was showing Manny's unluckiness for a month. And right. Manny was pretty unlucky for well, unlucky for about three months. But for the most part, you don't get unlucky for six months for the Usually. whole season, right? Usually, you get unlucky for a few months and then you get bad for a few months and then you have a bad season because you don't get the luck to kind of counter out the slump. Um, I forget exactly where we were going with this, but all it's I know just, is that is not just, what's just, happening to Aaron Judge. Right? It's like the two opposite yeah. sides of the spectrum
1: the one guy who, you know, whose average is down but he's putting the ball in play at a at a high clip or a, by all senses of the term effectively, he's hitting hitting the ball hard. And then Aaron Judge who's not really hitting the
0: ball. Look, Aaron Judge hits the ball harder than anybody that Statcast has ever measured. Right? So he has the highest average velo on all of his hits. He has the highest exit velo overall on the on, you know, the furthest and hardest hits. I mean, he he breaks the metrics sometimes. That's how hard he hits the ball. That's not his wow. problem. No, you know, his problem is hitting the ball.
1: That's it's, it. Really, is an interesting thing, and uh, it's something that we're going to keep up with intently for the next month because if this Yankee team wants to make a race, you need you need him there. You need him being productive, not what he was the first month. Because is that fair to say? That's unrealistic to expect. Probably yeah. right. So what you just explained to me with. How numbers will sometimes give themselves out, sometimes they won't. But you get unlucky for a month, sometimes you get bad for a month. He had just a bad month. He didn't have an unlucky month, he had a bad month, where he was striking out at an enormous clip. Even if his bad turns to good, who's to say, he didn't already use all his luck in the first half. So he he might start hitting the ball now
0: again, and it may not mean mean anything, but at least he'll be hitting the ball. What you kind of look for in young players when they when they have a lot of success, right, is what happens when they fail the first time or when they go through their first, like, prolonged period of failure. And we thought that Aaron Judge had that last year, right, and that he, was gonna, he came back and he did make adjustments, but he didn't have that success that showed him how good he can be. You know, now he's had that, and he's had this valley where he knows how bad he can be as well. And what really tells you a lot about a young player is how they – how they respond in that moment, and how they pick themselves back up from that, and if they can make adjustments to the adjustments that the league has made to them. Mm. And so you're going to see it with Raphael Devers, you know, the Boston's crazy good 20-year-old third baseman. Guy takes hacks. He hasn't failed yet. Guy takes hacks. Nobody knows how to pitch him. They will in about two weeks. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and then we'll see how good he is in the postseason when the elite pitchers have a scouting report on him. And if he, if he can make adjustments to them, that would be the most impressive thing. Now, Aaron Judge has a little while still so to make those adjustments but in this market you don't get all the time in the world
1: that is you know, really things
0: happen a lot quicker
1: I'm glad you brought that up it's like a beautiful segue from my man Joe tries it, MLB.com. so we just kind of I don't want to say we bashed Aaron Judge there by no means did we bash Aaron Judge but we, you know, we dug into the causes for concerns and some of the problems so before we move on because I want to get on to other stuff we've already spent a lot of time on this I want to give you just an open opportunity to speak to kind of his level of stardom since you were around the New York market and you've been in those locker rooms and, and all yeah. of that and just seen it firsthand, which us fans don't get to see so what have you seen from him character wise how he's handled all of this hype and just kind of explain the scene of trying to get to Aaron Judge
0: versus trying to get to say Chase Headley well Aaron Judge look I'll, I'll be honest he handles really everything very graciously and very politely and very openly it seems like and very professionally and, and very maturely, you know you, you can't really can't really dig at his character very much. I mean, he's he's an incredibly, um, you know, genuine and and polite and sincere person. That's yeah, so, which for, is for a, all intents and
1: purpose. And that's yeah. of a, that's as expected. Like that's the answer I pretty much expected to get yeah. from you. But when you hear it from Joe Trezzo when you hear it from you know guys on ESPN no. or WFAN or guys who are be, be, your co, your coworkers, Andy Nakoma, whoever's in there, he's a mess guy. But whatever. Then you, you know it's real. You yeah. don't just see the interviews. You hear it from
0: firsthand people who see him deal with you guys. Yeah, the time. He, I mean he's a wholesome guy with good family values and who, who really tries to play the game the right way and play it hard and to respect it and to not uh, let anybody down. That you know, and maybe sometimes that puts more pressure on people when you mm-hmm. have so you know first you're just trying to not let yourself down. Then you're trying to not let people from home down and where you come from down. And then you become a star and you have all these people that you don't want to let down. Right? And I think Aaron Judge was going through that for wow. a while. right? And he's the kind of person that takes that stuff very seriously. He takes it to heart. Um, but he gets along great with his teammates. Uh, they all seem to love him. And his manager loves him. So I, he really, he's yeah, he's everything that you think he is, to be honest.
1: That's awesome. I love talking to you about it as well because as fans, outsiders who watch YES Network, and that's the extent yeah. of them seeing Yankees, maybe they'll go to a couple games. They don't – they see Aaron Judge in press game and post-game conference, uh, press conferences – but they don't see him face to face so hearing it from from somebody who's around is is pretty neat. Uh, so quickly, real quick like one or two sentences on this. How is it to get to try to get to him for a quote versus getting to average player X on the Yankees?
0: Well, it's tough in the Yankee locker room because there's just so much media all the time and Aaron Judge had had this incredible transcendent first half where he was you know had to turn down requests from all these giant media companies even some that were out of the sports realm and world right so wow i mean aaron Judge is actually around more than some players are um i would say above average amount of the time he's at his locker and available it's just you know there's just a lot of other people always around so there's a, a lot right. of being asked from him you mm. know what i mean and it's, it's you know, interesting on a daily basis nice. chase headley by the way is a great person to talk
1: yeah to. yeah cool. very, open, uh, very, very like-
0: engaging Random guy brought up. Glad to hear it.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, Anyway, let's keep moving. Sports blog New York podcast. I'm Pete Kennedy. My Twitter is Pete Kennedy with two Y's. We got two guys here with very simple Twitter handles, so you should definitely give us both a follow if you don't already. I'm Pete Kennedy, two Y's in the ends. He's Joe Trez, two Z's, no A. So hit him up on Twitter. He has a great MLB Twitter, I must say, because if you are just a Mets fan, just a Yankees fan, you're going to get your your uh, filling of good New York stories. I love that story on TJ Rivera you did around All-Star break time, by the way, a little earlier. That was great. But your your tweets that sometimes seem random to the naked eye because I don't know what you're working on at the moment right. of just like different stats or different uh, comparisons are, are just awesome. So definitely give him a follow on Twitter. Check him out. Uh, but let's keep talking. And one of those things I want to talk about I saw first off of a tweet of yours. And uh, I think we retweeted it from Sportblog NYC. Our, our, our blog's Twitter. And it was about the pitcher on the Tampa Bay Rays. A guy I had no idea. I'm going to be quite honest. I had no idea who he was. Yeah. Jake Faria. Is that the correct way to say it? Nice. So you did a little feature on his, this man's changeup. And if you haven't seen it, just Google it or go to Sport blog NYC or Joe Trez on Twitter. Look up this man's changeup. It's ridiculous. And you dug kind of deep into it. So what did you learn about this, yeah, well, this crazy throws,
0: pitch? He throws what's called a foch change, which is a kind of like inside oh, can, baseball can you repeat that. A foch foch a foch change. Okay. Yeah, so it's like a very inside baseball term. It's like a pitcher's lingo type term, right? So it's something that really mm-hmm. they'll only say. It's like their little lexicon. Um, but a foch is basically any like variation of a regular changeup that can be thrown into like the vulcan change. Mm-hmm. Have you heard that before? Yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. Like, uh, Umbrella like that subgroup of pitches. So the thing with change Is that with the split-finger grip sometimes? So with Jake's, it is a split-finger change-up, right? Uh-huh. So it's like a... It's very difficult to do. Because first of all, you need incredibly big hands. Like, you need... I, I, never mind. You know, you know, you know <laughs> what they say about big you, hands. That's not, okay. that's not where I was going <laughs> with that, but that's not the point. You need incredibly long fingers. and uh, but, the, the, but the thing is that, that there is no, like, set like certain way to throw... A variation of a changeup. It's just a changeup that's not a straight change and not a circle change. Jake's happens to be a split change. So he, he spreads his pointer and his middle finger over the baseball to where they're the baseball they're on the side of the baseball. Then he puts his two other fingers on the far up on the far side of the ball, and the, his thumb he makes a kind of like a circle-ish change with the uh, grip with the pointer. Okay. So he's got like three different grips going on. with five different fingers i'm
1: like picturing that in my head it looks like he's hardly holding the baseball except for those two fingers in the middle
0: (laughs) it hurts to mime it like i would try doing it without a ball and i like i felt like i just typed like a 10 page essay you know like it was it was terrible um and basically what that does what his pitch does is that it dives down an arm side so into a righty and away from a lefty and he's a righty so he stands on the far side of the rubber on third base side, right, throws the ball away to a left-handed hitter, and it seems like it's right on the outside corner, and at the very last second it darts down, but it doesn't dart towards the batter. It darts away from the
1: batter. And it doesn't dart like a typical changeup. No, it kind
0: of floats and then
1: dives. Dives is the perfect word to explain Mm -hmm. it. It dives. I remember when I saw it, and don't tell me if I'm crazy, if I'm being a little over the top here, but when Pedro Martinez really used to get his changeup going, he used to cut it all different types of directions yeah. especially later in his career when he didn't have 98 in his pocket anymore like that's almost what it reminded me of I said I said this comparison his righty change up looks like a tight lefty
0: slider sometimes Yeah, like that's, that's how much it moves yeah that's pretty good and, and in the same direction yeah right so he, he was throwing back foot change ups to righties and he's a righty so think about that yeah, yeah. <laughs> right and it all starts in the middle of the plate it, it's, it's ridiculous it almost kind of like defies what you think a pitch should be able to do like goes in the opposite direction it almost hurts to like think of it going that way because it feels like your arm's not supposed to go that way yeah but yeah it's an incredible pitch and I mean Ooh. only a handful of guys in the league throw the foe's change they all kind of throw it in a different way bo um, seems like a word that means just anything at this point. It, it does. Can, it could yeah. mean
1: whatever you want it to mean. I, I, it,
0: but it, it's such an old school baseball word. Like it's been around since the 80s that uh, it's so old that Jake didn't even know what it meant. He just knew that's what the pitching coach called it. So that's what he did. And then there he was, you know, kind of like baptized into the fraternity of, wow. you know, historical guys who throw this one weird pitch. He made it forever. He made it.
1: Into the quirky book of baseball records. Yeah, I, mean, people, I feel like Tim Kirkson will write that one day. <laughs>
0: Pitchers have been, you know, doctoring the ball forever, whether it's spitballs or whatever it is, you know, uh, back in the, the 10s and the 20s, and you know, people were scuffing up the baseball, putting pine tar on it. So it's all just about trying to get it to move, and this is the way that Jake Ferrier does it now. And he's been a pretty good pitcher for the race. He's on the DL now, but, I mean, he was he could be rookie of the year if Aaron Judge wasn't around and mm-hmm. Andrew Bad Tendi wasn't around. You know, he has a
1: decent well, little He's pitch. there. He's around, he's around uh, that realm. Uh, some books. Good for him. And if you are interested in seeing one of the most ridiculous pitches you've ever seen, go to MLB.com, type in Joe Trez's name in the, in the search bar, find his articles. If not, easier way, go to his Twitter, at Joe Tuesday's 2 no Way, and check that story out. Um, you know, I don't know what made me just think of this. I think, uh, you're not, uh, for some reason, I thought of Game of Thrones. and Because you were sitting across. Well, I was paying attention to that, too. Why did that during just the, pop in my head? You said something season. that made me think about it. And I can't remember why, but it doesn't matter at this point. Okay. But have you been enjoying it? I'll throw, just throw it out there quick.
0: As in, a, a in a word?
1: Yeah. In a word? Yeah? Yeah. You don't seem too pleased. I have a little problems with the last. Episode. Oh God! I mean, I don't. I don't even watch Game of Thrones. Oh, you don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, I don't watch. Game oh, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. something came up with Syndergaard in my head, and there was a connection to Jake Faria and you. Syndergaard was and on Twitter. Game
0: of Thrones. He right, had a cameo. Yeah,
1: I don't. But I don't know. He actually retweeted one of our tweets. Maybe that's why I wanted to do this. Sick, just do a sick brag. Um, he only interacted with two, like, two tweets he made about his Game of Thrones appearance. Right. One was a solo tweet that was all his own words. And one was a quote tweet. And it was a sport blog yeah. He actually follows the blog. Maybe, maybe he's listening. Congratulations. <laughs> Definitely not listening. <laughs> but either way, I want to go to you. Keep talking about some MLB stuff. Um, nothing too crazy specific at the moment. But because you've been bouncing around doing all these different features and things of that nature, uh, I want just kind of open the floor to you. And whether it is you know interacting with other writers or other people in the media, I, what do you got as far as interesting stories about the lull of the baseball season? Because you're you're in it, right? Like it so, you doesn't you're, feel like a lull. So it doesn't feel like a lull. No, so, it feels like a constant to certain fans. You know what I mean? How oh, it can feel a like blind. a lull. It's, it's every day. So I don't feel lull at all. Give me give me some some rundown on some everyday MLB.com writer life interacting with people uh players interacting with other writers i know you tweeted a, uh, a tweet specifically said you walked into a locker room to see daniel murphy and bryce harper conversing right. about each other's swings and right. just literally shooting the shit right. give give us give us the give the sbny listeners just a look into that experience well that, that's one of, of the being the mlb
0: writer that's one of the cool parts of the job right and that's yeah. like kind of why people get into the job Right, because because they're seam heads or baseball junkies, and they want to see what's going on behind the curtain at the Jimi Hendrix show. You know, it's like that, that that that's what it feels like. It felt like I was seeing Hendrix play guitar, you know, in the '60s backstage. You're seeing him warm up, right, before the show, just like by himself in his zone, right, in this little intimate moment that you were only like you—you—you you, you were privileged to kind of get eyes on. Yeah, know? so that's that's definitely one of the, the the best part of the job. I mean, you know, I the other day we were at Yankee Stadium and and. He just kind of snuck a peek at the batting cage, and there was Joey Votto swinging, swinging off a tee, and the tee was, like, on his belly button. Like was It was, like, inches away from his belly button. He was getting the barrel to the ball. And, like, squaring it up. And squaring oh, it up. Sure. Yeah, when he hang it wherever he wanted to. You know, so it's these little details that you are privy to as a reporter that uh, kind of make what you see on the field make sense. Right, and a lot of a lot of what you see on the field sometimes takes your breath away, and you're able to see if you have my job, uh, you know the moments that lead to those little those little
1: moments that lead to the big ones. Because my point in asking this question and kind of leaving it as an open canvas for you to kind of go whichever direction you want is because a I want you to go whatever direction you want, but b is because you know you're around these other reporters and these other B writers right. and whatever. I'm sure at times in New York you got guys from national places all the time as well so you're not going to go around to who's one of the people that I always see you're interacting with on Twitter do you interact with Tacomo a bunch sure Tacomo another guy um, Tacomo thinks I'm a total scene head by the way does he Yeah he really? makes fun of me for it all the time that's 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 great yeah. see like to these guys and there's another guy I was, I was thinking I can't think off the top of my head um, who I'm always seeing you talk to but you're not going to go and be like yo I just saw Joey Votto doing this crazy T-drill or maybe you do I don't know but to me and to the average listener and to these outsider team heads, if you want to call them that, because like I know people who are baseball fans who would like like hurt people to get into a locker room to see Bryce Harper and Daniel Murphy even just standing still. And it is part of your job description. So this is an open forum for you to kind of like look back and reflect on some of these moments that to you is another day in the life. But to some of us,
0: it's like, what? Well, you I, saw who doing what? I do kind of have a reputation around work as being like the kind of you know, baseball nerd in terms of like mechanics (laughs) and like, you know, just like the little things that kind of happen from a player's perspective, you know, more so than like a storyline perspective or whatever. Like, I remember one day my first year where I was just uh, in the tunnel at City City Field and it was right after Cespedes, I think, had been acquired by the Mets and he wasn't even around but we were just waiting to see what was going to happen and we were waiting for somebody to talk, I think. We're sitting in front of the batting cage and uh, Travis Darno and Kevin Puecki are just, receiving pitches in the batting. With a glove? With a glove Uh off the pitching I thought you'd maybe do like a little little different drill, but okay. No, they were doing it with a glove. At first they were doing bare hand and they were getting balls off the machine and they were receiving. And I remember just thinking, hearing the pop of the glove and, you know, just it was a very, very simple drill, but it was what was happening in the trenches and what was happening, you know, it was the work that was being put in that led to what was happening on the field, and I just remember thinking I could sit here and watch catching practice all day. Like that's that was like my moment, like where I was like, okay, I'm really, you know, this is, this is a privilege, and, right. and you should, yeah, you, know, you should, you should do it the right way, and you shouldn't take it for granted. Yeah. So but you um, you appreciate the intricacies of the job. And absolutely, and that, I totally have a reputation for that too. Like I get kind of made fun of. I think that's a it's point. like a
1: genuine thing to get to get a little goofed on for though because you're truly appreciating the game that I know you love that you played I love for it, your yeah. entire life that- up into a good level uh, you know in in college you were on, you were playing college ball yeah. I, I was as well I was playing college ball for 2 years in my my college time another humble brag yeah, right? sick brags all around yeah. on this podcast sure. but it's like for you that could be as if not more exciting than you know, sitting in a press box and watching game. The press box feels like what? More work, work, work. It's a and lot of work. there, you know, it's, like it's behind the of... curtains, it's
0: more, in, like, personal. Right. It's a lot of, like, what are people talking about? You know, what do we do? We have to follow this lead, follow this story, blah, blah, blah. It's a lot of, like, I don't know, you kind of feel like you're running around chasing other people's tales a lot. But, like, I feel like when I – I wrote a story about Nolan Arenado's back foot – and what he does before he... Stab- that was probably why I confused the Manny Machado thing. Yeah. Um, and it's this incredible, like, revolutionary, mechanical thing he's doing. And he's doing it right in front of me. And nobody's writing about it, you know? So it, it just seemed like something that, like, I had to tackle because it was something that nobody was talking about but that people should be noticing. Right, right? And, yeah, we get caught up in storylines and, like, what happens and what it means going forward and all this stuff. But I feel like a lot of times the media doesn't focus on why certain things on the field happen, and what drives them to happening on the field, and what drives success from like a like a root level. And so that's what I like to focus on. I actually, now that you brought up that article, I do remember it. He lifts up his back foot and yeah. moves it. Yeah, he dances in the box basically, which, which is, is incredible. The one thing you're never supposed to do. You're never way. taught to do it. Yeah, because nobody is athletic enough to do it except Nolan Arenado and Troy Tulowitzki. And since it worked for them, Trevor Story. And since it worked for them, Chris Taylor. And since it worked for him, Jose Peraza. So, bam. One minute, you notice one thing happening, and then you talk to a few more people, you start doing some digging, and you have a trend on your hands. And you realize this is sweeping the game, and 10, 12, 15 hitters are doing it. Wow. And suddenly, it's a trend. That's amazing. That that happened within a span of two months because I, I
1: remember seeing that now that now that you brought it up and I heard another story um, regarding Justin Turner the ex-Met great of some, something similar with how he's rubbed off on so many of the Dodgers hitters uh, with his leg kick that he does sure so these intricacies are stuff that you don't hear about on a day to day basis and sure. maybe they're the things that need to be appreciated a little bit the leg
0: bit more. kick went from Jose Batista to Josh Donaldson to Justin Turner I mean look at Chris Taylor on the Dodgers right mm-hmm. he doesn't just move his back foot before he moves his front foot he moves his front foot he moves his back foot, his front foot, his back foot, both elbows, and then he swings. So it's like a dance, but it's, like a, it's a very natural progression from what he saw. He saw Nolan Aranato do it, that he tried to implement that in his swing. He made it his own. Now the next one's going to be even more complicated. It's going to maybe work for somebody or not work for somebody, and it's going to keep evolving. And then you got to think about, as a
1: fan, the crazy thing you, try to, you have to try to fathom is how many reps these guys take. Yeah. I see one of the things that blows my mind and as a guy you brought up before we we're talking about Manny Machado when he makes a play down the line almost like sometimes on the outfield grass but down the third base line yeah. and he hits the first baseman on the in in the chest yeah. not just like to his chest he Bullets throws to, through his chest yeah. off one foot leaning away from third base and I I I I have to rewatch it a couple times are those the types of things that he will just do to practice all the time, or is he just that
0: naturally unbelievable? That's a little bit of both. A little bit I of think. both? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I, I know Manny very, very, very small amount, but i talked to no one about their base a little bit more. No one might even be better than Manny Machado. Yeah. Whatever, which is saying something. Which is crazy. And <laughs> earlier this year, he, he fielded a bunt on the other side of the pitcher's mound and threw across his body to get the out of the second base. And he was like, yeah, I've been practicing that play forever. I've always tried. I always wanted to do it in the game. So yeah, these guys have... You have to understand, and they're at the ballpark at 3 o'clock, uh, sometimes earlier, 2 o'clock. They're hitting, they're fielding, they're messing with things. You know, this is their craft. This is what they do. That's fantastic. Again, JoeTrez
1: at MLB.com. Hit him on Twitter, JoeTrez, Tuesdays, no A. Sports Blog New York Podcast. We're going to keep talking baseball. Um, but real quick before I move I've on to this. you a clubhouse
0: story if you want one more. Do you have a good clubhouse yeah, story? I a clubhouse. Oh, I'll put off anything yeah. I had for Okay, a good clubhouse it's story. It's just really quick. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Joey Votto was... Uh, the, the, the Reds were at Yankee Stadium earlier in the summer uh, for a quick midweek two-game set, and Joey Votto was just hanging out at his locker um, in the middle of the afternoon, and there wasn't really much going on, except there was a game on the TV, which is in the middle of the clubhouse, which I think was Cubs-White Sox, if I, if I remember correctly. Okay. John Lackey was on the mound, though. I know that for the Cubs. And somebody had just been hit on the Cubs by uh, one of the pitchers on the White Sox who just lost his control. He was just a young kid who didn't know how to command anything, and he, he hit, like, three Cubs. And now John Lackey was on the mound. And I think Alex Avila was at the plate, who is now on the Cubs. Mm. Yeah, and a little wrinkled. And Joey out. Votto was sitting there at his, his locker very intently watching the game because a lot of people were trying to talk to him. And he was kind of trying to deflect the situation while being polite at the same time which is kind of the way Fado is sometimes um, and he's watching the game he's really into it and he's like uh, uh, he just announces to the room actually yells to somebody across the room he goes hey uh, Avila's gonna get hit right now and he's like and the guy across the room goes oh this pitch and he goes no next one watch he's gonna miss on the first pitch Lackey throws a pitch <laughs> he missed Avila by like an inch threw it inside totally missed him and then he get, comes set again and he starts to throw, and Vado just announces it to the room. He goes, "He's going to hit him now!" In three, two, one, square in the back. And everyone wow. just hysterical laughs because he was so in tune to what was going to happen, and he predicted it like to the second. He seems like
1: from the outside a guy who is so on point mentally and physically, Incredibly just in life. Yeah, like he is just there. He he's ahead. No, he's not even he's not even like in the now. He's two steps ahead of you. He is. Like when, he, when I saw one of my favorite Joey Votto things I've ever seen was, I forget who was quick pitching him, so he just would not get out of his batting stance. Yeah. He didn't readjust his feet, not his arms. He didn't take a step. He literally just stood in his batting stance ready to hit for the entire at-bat.
0: Aaron Judge did that earlier in the season, too. Did he do it? the Brewers,
1: yeah. Like that yeah, was yeah. one of the baller moves I've ever seen from a hitter. Yo, you're going to fast pitch me? I'm not going to move. I'm going to stand here ready to hit.
0: Until you throw me a pitch, I'm going to swing at No, look, Votto's a craftsman. He's a tactician, and he's... The thing about him is that he's more intelligent than everybody he comes around. How respected is he around writers and players? Oh, incredibly respected. I mean, it, he, he's not, like, followed around on that team just because he kind of exists in his own... Like, he's so... You know, he makes a lot of money. He's a future Hall of Famer, probably. He's so much more skilled. He's always the most skilled person in the room. Mm. And so... He and he's a damn of, good first baseman too. He has a kind of aura <laughs> about, about him, you know, where he's like he leads by example, and I mean, people revere him throughout the league.
1: Wow, that's true. Sure. P- that's pretty cool stuff. Um, I almost forget now what I was going to get into again before we got into that good clubhouse story. But I don't even care because that was a good, a damn good clubhouse story, and I love to hear it. Uh, I feel obligated a little bit, and if you disagree, tell me. I feel like we have to talk about the Mets a little bit. It's your show, ma'am. It is. It is my show. I do call the shots here. It's your
0: show. I just spent a lot of time over there. So.
1: I know you. Yeah, I know you're. You're the guy. That and that's why we need to talk about the Mets for a little bit, because we've been keeping this light and more interesting, and we're about to get maybe to a bad place, because the Mets aren't <laughs> exactly in the best place. The but only, that's it's not for bad me to place say. If you allow yourself to get to a bad place, right? <laughs> at least that's what you tell yourself. <laughs> sure. Hey, it's on well, my team.
0: Let's talk though. Ooh, Aaron Judge, flawless game so far. I'm sorry.
1: Aaron Judges did, did you get a hit? He did. He had an RBA
0: single and he's There we go, the Aaron.
1: Teams. That's good. That's a good game. Well, <laughs> as we give you the behind the scenes into what is going on while we record this Sports Bug Nerd podcast, but talking to the Mets' perspective now, talking talk to them about, about this Mets team, I want to open a simple question first. And that question is disregarding how bad everything looks right now, is this roster slash Coaching staff slash front office currently constituted to be competitive
0: in twenty eighteen. I mean, I certainly think they're going to try. Uh, you know, in in in, in, the, in the certain ways they can't. The thing about the Mets is that they still can have great pitching next year. Right. Right. Like we forget that they
1: can. Right? Comes down to like confidence level in those said pitchers. Yeah,
0: and whether they're going to stay on the field or not. Like I, you know, it, it, they're still the same players for the most part. I mean on that side of the ball at least you still have Noah Syndergaard. you still have Jacob deGrom, you have some version of Matt Harvey, you have some version of Steven Metz You know, i i I don't I, I wouldn't blame fans for thinking, well, how many times could we fall for the same type of thing? But the fact is you see these guys pitch. And when they're on the field they're very, very good. So I think Mets fans still have that to cling to. And Michael Conforto had the year everyone wanted him to have. It. So look at that, he's taking a step up. Cespedes won't have such a lost season as he's had this year.
1: I've heard, I've heard uh, things. And the kids are up. I've heard things via different, you know, writers, radio shows, and whatnot. That Cespedes isn't truly healthy. Like that's what people like to say too. And to that, I would say the Met fans at this point, the season's lost pretty much, right? So you look to next season, and then to to the Met fans, you say, we need to get better as a whole baseball team, right? Because I keep hearing the Mets were built around these pitchers, the Mets were built around these pitchers, and that's something I totally disagree with, and here's why. I want to hear your take. They say we're built around the pitchers, but we have a bad defense. Say we're built around pitchers, but we have such an inconsistent offense that only hit home runs when they were scoring early in the year, or last year, I should say. The only thing that is built around these pitchers is city field. What else constitutes the Mets being built around pitchers other than that fact that they have the pitchers? They don't have a, a, a defense that excels, and they don't have a consistent offense, or one that like, will get you two or three runs. It's hit or miss with them almost. Well, so how does that work, balancing well, out the what roster? What I would say
0: is that uh, they, when you have a staff that has such strikeout stuff on paper, right, there's this kind of tendency to think, I don't need the best defense in the world because the ball's not being put in play very much. So we're going to focus on hitting. We're going to focus on bats. And look, look at the opening day roster. I mean, this is a team that hit the way Sandy Alderson wanted them to hit. You know, he constructs a team around power, you know, not so much speed, wait for the, well, you know, get on base, wait for the three-run homer. And that's what got him into the playoffs last year. You, We forget. Their opening day team was the same team virtually that made the wild card last year yeah. in the National League. So, I mean... Everything went wrong for them this year. And then they cut their losses by tr- sending everybody away. Everybody trying to stockpile. Did that, that make the clubhouse team? weird? Do you have any more clubhouse stories for post all those trades? It's, well, it's it's just, it's just a lot of new faces. You know, there's a lot of kids who are happy to be there and who are still getting used to it because they kind of weren't expecting all to be up at the same time. Right? Like, you, you know, the, what they did, the way they dismantled the team, was kind of, you don't really see it too much in the sport. You don't see a lot of teams loaded with all these expiring contracts and then kind of sell them off. At least not in this sport. You see no. in basketball. Basketball, yeah. there's
1: almost nothing more valuable than expiring contracts sometimes. Yeah. I mean, Jay Crowder just got sent. Uh, he an, I don't know if he has an expiring contract, but he has one of those coveted contracts where he was signed to a long-term deal right before the big salary cap boom. Right. So his contract was so coveted, and he fits in all these different deals. And he just got traded. And those guys are very, very valuable, and I think the Yankees almost started a trend with that last year, where they sold off a bunch of guys, and it worked for them. Yeah, well, Do you they, think that, like, did that They were able the to take
0: advantage of the market, and they were able to trade Their relievers, relievers. <laughs> <laughs> <Real> relievers. <laughs> the yeah, for this for these incredible packages of prospects, right? So if you look at who the all, all the players the Mets traded, who did they get the most value for? Addison Reed. A relief pitcher. Yeah, it was a similar market. Like nobody needed a first baseman. Nobody needed a, a right fielder. No one needed Neil Walker. No one needed a Neil Walker. Exactly. So you don't get a lot back for these guys because the market was like that this year. Yeah. But it looks like the Dodgers needed grand relievers. Center. Yeah, that Crazy. Wasn't, wasn't that odd.
1: He was so so bizarre. That's it's weird. So bizarre. I mean, he shows up and hits dingers though. Yeah. Well, things are working out out there for real. You know, <laughs> they sincerely doesn't. Don't you get the feeling to segue to the Dodgers real quick? that they've been so good so far this year, there's no way they can win the World Series. I don't know. There's
0: some magic around them. I mean, I don't know if they will win the World Series. Well, right, right. They certainly can because they are the best team in the league. That is very fair. So I wouldn't forget that. You're right. I just have
1: this super unscientific theory. Is unscientific a word? Sure. It makes sense. So if it's not a word, at least you know what I'm trying to say. I have an unscientific theory about certain things like that. And baseball, when you see the best regular season team of all time in the Mariners, win 116 and lose in the first round. Baseball is one of those sports that feels like like you said. You can be good for a long time and then maybe average but lucky for a long time. It's going to balance out somehow or another. And with a team that's been so good, they're over 50 games over 500. It just feels like they're gonna run out of gas or gonna run out of luck. I don't know. That's just like an
0: unscientific method. No, well, I I, I can see what you're saying. And, you know, there is like a there is actually a scientific way to look at it. Like I guess that's kind of saying the same thing that you're saying. Yeah. And the the fact is, the Dodgers were built unlike any other team in baseball history, in the sense that they they f- like they fortified the margins of their roster so hard. They gave their backups backups. They gave their backups backups backups, and not just minor league players, replacement level players, like veterans who are skilled, who make some money, they have all the resources to do that. Like, they're not a team that's 25 deep. Like, that's the way you used to build teams. You used to get 25 of the best players that you can. Now, teams don't even, you know, get the 40 best players that you can. Like, the Dodgers have used more than 55 players already. Wow. Yeah, they used 53 last year. So, they are proving that in this, like, modern day and age, the best way win 162 games or the as many of 162 games as you can is by using a village like it takes a ton of people to do it they they, they are paying like it's something like 140 million dollars to players who haven't played this year yet. wow like that's it's it's insane. That's pretty close to some people's payrolls now well, yeah it is when you talk about like Andre Ethier, Carl Crawford, Adrian Gonzalez, Carl just came back. Crawford, right? Well, I forgot about that, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And they've the resources
0: to do that and eat it and still get 60 of the best players that they can, right? So they're they're like the best insured team of all time in baseball history. And that strategy is the best way to win over the long haul now. But to your point, you don't need 60 players to win a five-game series. Right. So, yeah, I, I can see what you're saying kind of. That's
1: – I didn't even – you just gave me – you just made me feel real good because my unscientific method just became semi-scientific Ooh, with your great explanation right there. And that's another quick point off that, what you just said, couldn't help me help but make me think about Adrian Gonzalez, a guy who's been not playing for a right. while now. But he's due back very soon, if not – Yeah, he, um, came back last right, he came back last week. he came back – that's how much I'm right there. i sorry, uh, the games the LA already Dodgers TV Dodgers. and they're late, yeah. so what are you going to do? And okay. Kyrie Irving just got traded. <laughs> right. A lot has been going on right. for me. Preseason football. Nah, I am not caring about yeah. that yet. Until I have a fantasy draft, and then it's a different story. And
0: then it's like more important than church, right? Yeah, well, it
1: <laughs> d- depends how you value church, I guess. <laughs> I hear that. But uh, Adrian Gonzalez is a guy who, when you look at him fitting in this Dodgers team during the regular season, you say, yeah, clearly we don't need him too much. But you look at the Dodgers team in the playoffs, and you say, how do we not have him in the lineup? Or at least that's how I see it. A veteran guy who doesn't strike out, who can drive the ball to left and right, who just knows how to hit. You know what I mean? Who should be a steady presence in a, in a lineup, no matter when, no matter where. But he's also been out of a lineup on the best team for so long. So it's kind of a catch-22.
0: Do you have uh, – where do you fall at? At this point, he kind of has to prove himself onto that playoff roster, to be honest. I mean they, they,
1: who's, they he have... take, who's he taking high-bats from, right? Well,
0: they are so loaded, you know, in terms of, like, guys Yashio that they can, can include eight? and not – yeah. And, just, I mean, if you, if you even look at the pitching, they've got, I don't know how many starters they've, they've had this year, but it's like close to 10 or 12 or something. They've had a few starters that they're paying a ton of money to that haven't even started. You know, like, there's just so many, it, the pool of players that they pick from is so much larger than everybody else's, it seems like. And that's why they're good. And, look, you could put Cody Bellinger in the outfield and you could play Adrian Gonzalez at first base. That's what they thought until the first day Cody Bellinger was back in the outfield he twisted his ankle. And now he's on the disabled list. And everyone panics. You know, so these things like you know, it's it's really hard to project what's gonna happen today, you know, down the line for them because there's so many different variables. But I could see a situation where he doesn't where he doesn't make it onto the playoff roster. Wow. Onto oh, so the roster or into the lineup. Well for the NLT I mean it's a series by series right. roster. And sure, I could I could see them taking someone with more versatility right. and it gives them, you know, the ability to do more things in a series. I can. I i you know, if he hits he's gonna be on the roster. But if he doesn't hit, like he didn't hit the first half of the season yeah. before he got hurt. Um yeah, I can see it.
1: That's really interesting. It really, really is. Real quick, um give me something on Cody Bellinger. What do you what do you see when you watch him play? A boy. Right? He's <laughs> a boy. He's he's
0: thin, right? He's, that's not just TV? He's a kid. He's twenty one. He asks me a question about his hitting and he goes sick. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Like he's literally
1: He's a, a dude. Like he's, he's just a, some dude who he's breaks. definitely a dude. Yeah. Like he's a dude who crushes baseballs and is yeah. like, bruh. Yeah, he's a dude. That's what it is. And he has a,
0: a monster swing. His bat gets through the zone. Yeah. Like very few people you see. It's in this not game. like a wrecking ball. You know the way it like goes down pendulum back up. Yeah. It's a yeah. It's just got. It's ferocious.
1: That's nuts. That really, really is. Well, I'm gonna flip over from the Dodgers to. Uh, American League team that is definitely a little slower than they were a couple months ago, but they're still a very good team with probably the MVP. How have you enjoyed watching the Astros kind of blossom this year, even with some late, late uh, recent struggles? Yeah, but they blossomed more or less this year, and they possibly have the MVP in Jose Altuve.
0: Yeah, I mean he's probably the front runner at this point. I mean there's really nothing on the field that he doesn't do, and he's it's going to be so interesting to see if he wins it though because. The MVP awards are basically the war awards right now. Ugh. You know, I mean, that, that's just the way it is. No, nah, like, you're right. You have to... Okay, to accurately predict postseason... I think he's uh, on top of it, though. Predictions, uh, you know, postseason awards, you have to you have to take into account how they're going to be voted on. Right? You have to take into account the electorate. And, you know, I, last time I checked, is pretty close to the top. I know that. But I also know that Andrew Simmons is yeah. at the top. I know that Mike Trout is always at the top, so I just assume he's going to end he up there, there as well. Right? So... Um, you know, I I don't know if he will win the MVP. I really don't. He doesn't get nearly enough attention down there in Houston than he deserves. Um, his skill set doesn't get as much praise as it deserves because what he's doing now is Ichiro with power territory, and he's doing it from the right side of the plate in one of the hardest times in baseball to hit ever. So, like, what he's doing is just mind boggling. And it's pretty underrated. But that's what we do every year. Every year somebody does something amazing and we don't give them enough credit. And it gets swept under the rug.
1: And until maybe two years later when people like you, smart people, go back and cover this. And you say, what the hell were we thinking?
0: Look what we missed. Yeah. Yeah. This and I, I just hope we don't we don't say that about Altuve. Because I mean, we kind of already should be saying it. He's won three straight hit titles. He's going to win a batting, t- batting crown for the third time in four years. He's going to win a stolen base crown for third time in four years. He's slugging 570. He leads the league in total bases. I mean, he's, ne- he's next level. He is absolutely next level. He's a machine. And
1: think about, we talked about Isaiah Thomas just because I mentioned that Kyrie Irving trade with the Celtics and Isaiah Thomas. He's a he's a dude who can be called Jose Altuve Jace based off size alone. Very general small person stereotype there. But it makes sense, right? A game with, with huge athletes where these little people dominate. Isaiah Thomas... Who you can argue was not even close to the impact player that Jose Altuve was, and he had a great season, got national hype across the entire season for his performances, and yet Jose Altuve has been on one of the most exciting young teams in baseball, who has been one of the best teams in baseball for most of the year, and unless you're a true true baseball guy, yeah, you're not even you might not know who this guy is.
0: Well, he, well he's revered in the industry and he's revered, you know, amongst his peers. But the fact is, when you talk about marketing and branding, it's like, you know. Basketball is more Snapchatable right? right You know, I mean that's that's really what it comes down to. And uh, there there's a patience involved in baseball, and there's a slow brew. And um, you know, I, I I don't know. I it's so hard for me to to understand though, because I've always loved it and always enjoyed it. Right. I always thought it was great. So I don't know what to tell you. Eh, well, I'm just glad we get to appreciate him a little bit
1: because he just he deserves the hype. Obviously, you know, he deserves to yeah. be
0: a star. And the national uh, stage is going to
1: help him. That's yeah, true. In the playoffs, if they show up, um, they'll be a really cool team. They have a lot of a lot of good young guys. I mean, oh absolutely. If they show up on on uh, or in September and October, man, they're, they're yeah, well, they're I mean, a crew could
0: be reckoned with. I mean, they can they can fall asleep the rest of the way and still win the ALS. So, I mean, they're going to be there. Um, I think for them, it's all about just getting everybody healthy now for that to make sure you're at full strength when the playoffs start. Yeah, because if they are, you're right. They've got quite a team to showcase. Well. This is a Sports Blog New York
1: podcast. I'm Pete Kennedy here with Joe Trezza. Don't forget to follow him on Twitter at Joe Trez2z's no a. This has been so. This has been very fun so far. I love to and to talk uh, baseball with you because it. I don't know. It doesn't it feels like we're just talking? and I kind of forget the microphone's here, and that's the vibe I like to have on the SBMI. podcast. Yeah, I was
0: going to ask. I don't even know where the microphone is. It, you don't, I don't even to know, know where it is. it is.
1: There's maybe, maybe there's not a microphone.
0: <laughs> but I want to
1: just take five more minutes or so because we're coming up on the hour. And just kind of pick your brain. So this last month, for you, from the writer perspective, what is it going to be like? Where, where are you going to be most tuned in on? What are the things you're going to be looking for in the next month for you know interesting ideas that you're going to be writing about and then interesting things that involve playoff baseball,
0: which is around the corner? So I think what we're going to see over the, the next month is a lot of talk about the September 1st call-up protocol, right, and, and the issue that's now, it's now an issue around Major League Baseball, right, there are a lot of people that bring it up saying that September call-ups, the system should be different, some teams are playing with 38 guys, some teams are playing with 40, it's not fair, all this stuff, I think you're going to see those guys have a huge impact on the American League wildcard race, because you have all these teams who are kind of fighting for, trying to beat each other up, right, for that last spot, you have eight teams eight, 18 teams, yeah, right, and they all have one thing in common, and that's they have a lack of pitching depth, and they're going to rely on a lot of young, unproven reinforcements over the who final probably throw a hundred, who may may not, you know, no one knows much about these guys, right? So even the rest of the league doesn't know much about them. So it's going to be really interesting to see these unknown guys kind of go at it with real stakes. You know, a lot of them at the same time for these eight teams. They're they're going to have a really big impact. So I think whoever wins that second spot it's going to be a testament to their organizational depth more than maybe the top half of their roster. Wow. And I think that's the team that's going to come come across with that. I think you're going to hear a lot about that. That's pretty interesting because you don't think of September
1: call-ups to be true impact players, but you're saying there's a chance that a lot of these young guys come in
0: and have to – pick up roles oh yeah in big spots and and you're right like most of the time it's just fill-ins on teams that aren't going anywhere like a Rosario right or like or somebody just right it's like not a fill-in in, but you know what I mean like a young player they want to get get experience on a team that's not really going to make the postseason but the September call-ups might have the biggest overall impact this season than they've ever had in like big league history you got
1: any names you want to throw out there or no?
0: No, I, but, but, but like that's, that's the not excitement. Even, that's not the point? Yeah, like that's the excitement of it. Right. I, I think in a month we're going to be talking about kind of a breakout star that we don't even know is on our radar right now. That's
1: pretty cool. And and possibly on a contender, which makes it even more fun if they can keep it up when the lights are on in the playoffs. Right. All these guys are going to be on contenders. And I do want to bring up Rosario. We didn't really hear what you've— uh, Thought of watching him firsthand. So, what do you think of Rosario so far? And throw Dom Smith in as well, and any of the uh, other young Mets who are sure. out right now. I like,
0: mean, look, what have you seen from Rosario? Is extremely athletic. Uh, he has the potential to be a dynamic player on the defensive side of the ball. There's no doubt about it. Um, I think his, you know, he's got a powerful swing that is a little unrefined at this point. I think a lot of people would say that. Yeah, it took him a while to take his first walk, or you know, show kind of. Uh, Play discipline. Big lead the approach. I want him to, you know. Like, um, I think that's going to be a work in progress for him for a while. Uh, I think he blends well into a clubhouse. He acclimates. He's really laxed on to Jose Reyes. Um, it doesn't seem like the moment phases him. Mm-hmm. It seems like, uh, I mean, he has the natural talent to take Araldus Chapman out opposite field at Yankee Stadium in his eighth game or whatever it was. You know, that was pretty impressive. That was definitely a cool thing to see as a Met fan. Um, Dom Smith seems pretty unflappable in a similar sense. Uh, very mature. Not like, you know, uh, it didn't seem like a lot rattles his cage or gets to him and he's got a pretty nice swing and a pretty quick love. So we'll you know, it's really silly to make assumptions on guys like not only when they first make the business, but even before. You know, we only have a certain X game sample with these guys, so um. So from your estimation, and this is something that I was having
1: a long a little bit more long form discussion with another kid who sometimes co-hosts this podcast, Alec Argento. Um, we were. I was saying how important it can be for these guys to just see major league pitching, and there's nothing you can do to truly simulate, simulate facing MLB pitchers. Do you find that to be true for these young guys who get these call
0: ups in the end of the year? Sure, that's definitely a step. You know, that's a big reason that they get the call ups in the first place. Um, you know, the fact is now, if they're in AAA or whatever, they're more likely to see guys who've been in the big leagues. But yeah, it's definitely a learning experience to for those guys to see a you know, Max Scherzer or Aldous Chapman or, you know, if they see those kinds of guys early it's almost like, well, what can phase me now? Right, like Tyler Austin hit a home run off Chris Sale the other day. Right. You have to think his confidence is pretty high. You know, he probably won't be he intimidated sh- by it. Uh, he shows you something that you yeah. may have never seen him do before. Right. Uh, and then
1: he knows that he can do it. So that's big. And if, if I didn't do this, uh, I would kind of be doing a disservice to the Twitter game. So I did tweet out earlier... If anyone had any questions uh, for this podcast recording, and I had one, oh, won- I saw
0: that question. That's a, that's a
1: bad question. It's a bad question. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to ask that's it a anyway. Gotcha question. I, I have no good answer to that. So should I not even ask it? That's it, it's. I'm gonna. <laughs> I figured I should just say it because they asked the question. But it is quite the frustrating question, and it is one that I argued with this person for over an hour with. So I'm going to say the question: Can the Yankees AAA team beat the current Mets team in a four-game series? And that's from the Kahuna. And somebody who's named the Kahuna, you know, maybe you don't have to take their questions too serious. But that's a real question that this person like on Twitter head. debated me for over an hour on. Over what, an hour. What did he think? He thought the, the Yankees, tr- uh, Scranton Wilkes Bear team, as currently constituted, um, should have confidence that they could beat the Mets in a one-game series, in a one-series one, one series of four games right now, or three games, whatever it was. Oh, I thought
0: it was one game.
1: No. Nah. Well, either way, he said that they they should be able to win. And I was like, Who's if you're going to take Louis 162, Sessa? yeah, Chance Adams, yeah. I don't know. It was a whole debate. It's not even worth getting into. But I figured I'll do the guy a shout-out, the kahuna. That was the question he asked.
0: Well, Yeah, I don't know the answer
1: to that. <laughs> so, I don't, <laughs> don't delve in hypotheticals. You, you live in the now. You made it clear in the beginning I of the episode,
0: the and you're making it clear at the end. I like to take into account what's happening in front of me. Call me simple, but that seems like the most important. It's it sounds, sounds, it sounds pretty eyes. good to me.
1: It sounds pretty good to me. And that's why, along with this fine episode with Joe Trezor from LB.com, there's another episode, two Sports Blog Network podcasts in one day. The other one is a mini podcast, and that is breaking down the Kyrie Irving trade with Isaiah Thomas, the Boston Celtics, Cleveland Claverillos, the whole nine. So check that out if you're into that kind of stuff. Wow. If you're into basketball. Could these guys handle that much you? We're gonna see, man. Yeah. That's, that's why that's why we test things out. That's why we try stuff. Because, you know, if you don't try, you don't know if it's gonna work. So maybe both of these podcasts are gonna get great numbers, breaking records on SBNY terms. Who knows? Anything could happen. We can throw it to your loyal followers, maybe maybe they'll throw some love as well. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe you'll even maybe you'll even get more hits on the baseball one than the basketball one. That'll be a great litmus test. The one thing that is a little disadvantage to the baseball podcast is that this is long form, like a regular episode. Yeah. So the way iTunes takes stats is kinda of bogus. Have to listen to like almost all of it for it to count. No. SoundCloud, no channel flipping. Literally just click play and it counts. So how about that? So, as, as I said before, Who numbers knows? can be deceiving. Very deceiving <laughs> stuff. <laughs> you have to really know
0: how they're computed. It's this true. It's a lot like a sabermetric argument.
1: And something that we don't need to get into over <laughs> these airwaves. So, Joe, thank you so much for coming on the pod. Hopefully you enjoyed it and hopefully have you on again. Maybe uh, a little closer to playoff time. Thanks for having me, man. Always fun. Of course. Again, Joe Trezza. Hit him up on Twitter, at trez 2 zs No way. I'm Pete Kennedy. Yup. Later. Have a good day. <laughs>